0: Turning your Bibles to Psalm 87. We're continuing our study, uh, our summer series through the Psalms. Uh, we'll come to an end on Labor Day, and then the week after Labor Day, we'll go into a New Testament study on 2 Corinthians, and I'm really looking forward to that. But as we study the Psalms, we're learning about our hearts. The heart is the control center of the soul's thoughts, feelings, desires, and choices. And what we learned this morning is that the heart of the heart is the church. In other words, the the way God ministers the benefits of Christ to us is through the church. We're going to learn in this passage that God loves the church, that God delights in the church, that God moves through primarily the church to build us up in the most holy faith. You know, it used to be that it was obvious to all that the church was the core and the heart of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, in in past days towns and villages were actually even designed so that people would be reminded that the church is the heart of Christian growth and that the church is at the very core of the heart of God. Let me show you what I mean. Here's a diagram of how many cities and towns and villages used to be designed. The church was in the middle. And then all of the neighborhoods, all of the homes were situated so that no matter where you walked or where you drove or where you rode a horse, whatever era you were in, you would be setting your eyes by design on the central place of the church. Now, this isn't just in theory. This actually happened. Look at uh, this old European village. Notice... It's the same exact design I just showed you, but there it is in real life. The church at the center, the circles around the church for outer roads, and no matter where you walked, ran, played, worked, you were forced by the design of things to recognize the church's central place in life. I mentioned before uh, a book called The Seven-Story Mountain by a uh, Trappist monk, um, Thomas Merton. It was listed by National Review as one of the top 100 nonfiction books of the 20th century. And in that book, uh, Merton reveals that the church used to be seen as central to the spiritual life and central to the heart of God. But recently, it's been seen more and more on the periphery. And, of course, the COVID pandemic has particularly pushed the church off to the peripheral as well. And even for many Christians, uh, people are looking at church as, as just an option in their own individual Christian life. Well, Psalm 87 instructs us otherwise, and Thomas Merton, in his book, wrote these words. Now, focus one eye on this, but but let your ears hear what Merton wrote. Uh, When when Merton was young, uh, his mom died, and so it was just Thomas and his father. His father was an artist, and uh, they would travel all over the world. And one of their uh, journeys led them to a village in France, And in France, it was designed, the town they were in was designed like this. And young Thomas Merton had to deal with the church being the central place of this village. This is what he said. Here, everywhere I went, I was forced by the disposition of everything around me to be always ever conscious of the church. Every street pointed more or less inward to the center of the town to the church. Every view of the town, even to the exterior hills, centered upon the long gray building with its high spire. The whole landscape, unified by the church and its heavenward spire, seemed to say, this is the meaning of all created things. Oh, what a thing it is to live in a place that is so constructed that you are forced, in spite of yourself, to be a contemplative where all day long your eyes must turn again and again to the house through which Christ distributes His grace. Do you believe that the church is central to your spiritual health? Do you believe that the church is critical to the state and condition Of your heart. In a good confession, as I said during the call to worship, and as we uh, confessed our faith together through the catechism, this week's focus is on adoption. And God loves His church because it is the place where His adopted children gather. And therefore, it's the place where the adoptive Father loves to reveal His presence. And exercise His benefits. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. And if you're at home, I would invite you to stand out of reverence for God's Word as well. Psalm 87, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city He founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab. Rahab um, is Egypt. And Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the people. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because He loves us. He's our Father. We're His children, adopted into His forever family. And he longs for us to see the church as our mother who raises us in the love of the Father. Let's pray. Father, deliver contemporary Christianity from such a low view of the church. And God, may we see through this psalm that you could hardly exalt it more. And it's your chosen vessel for dispensing your grace more deeply into our souls and hearts. So come, Holy Spirit, guide us, lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, if you listened to my introduction of the Scripture, and then listened as I read the Scripture you may be thinking, Bob, wait a minute. (laughs) The church wasn't mentioned once. How could you possibly be talking about the church? And there's nothing about adoption. Well, hang with me. Because this psalm is all about the church. And it's all about adoption. We just need to make sure we're interpreting it properly. So three graces of our adoption that we experience as we engage the church, the heart of God's heart. First of all, engage the church to experience love. Look at verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Now you're saying, that's talking about Zion. That's talking about Jerusalem. That's talking about the city of God. It's talking about Mount Moriah. All of those descriptors are what Jerusalem is known as. Now, of course, God does love Jerusalem. But the psalm is not focusing merely on literal, physical geographic Jerusalem. At some level, on the one hand, of course it is. Why does God love Jerusalem? Well, look at verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city that He founded. And verse 3, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. God set up Jerusalem to be the place where He would dwell. But why did he choose to dwell there? Because that's where he wanted his adopted children, the church, to meet. And all through the Old Testament, we hear of the glorious things that are spoken over Jerusalem. For instance, uh, I didn't realize that uh, when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, I, I knew it occurred on Mount Moriah I hate to admit this as your pastor, but I hope it encourages you that I still don't know what I'm talking about half the time. Although when I study for this, you do need to listen, right? (laughs) So, Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. I I didn't know that for the longest time. And so, when you get to certain places in Jerusalem, they they, they have these signs that point you toward Mount Moriah. And you end up simply going up uh, the, the place near the temple. And so, glorious things are spoken of the city of God. Um, in Genesis 14, uh, before Abraham and Isaac, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, Jerusalem. And Melchizedek, the high priest, was a type of Christ. David's capital, of course, the city of David, was Jerusalem. Solomon's temple, 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. I never noticed this before this week. It, it doesn't say in 2 Chronicles 3 1, it was built in Jerusalem. It says it was built on Mount Moriah, which is Jerusalem, which is Zion, which is the city of God. So, on the one hand, this psalm talks about literal, physical, geographical Jerusalem. But on another level, let's never forget that the, the psalms are poems, they're poetry. They utilize symbolism, figurative language. And when we read in the Psalms, Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, Zion, the city of God, what we need to understand is church. You see, in the Old Testament, the visible church was Israel. But true believers within Israel were the church. And after Christ, we call the assembly the church, there's still a visible church, like there was visible Israel. In other words, there are people in Israel of the Old Testament and the visible church of the New Testament that are in church. They're in among God's family, but they're really not Christians. But in the visible church, there are also true Christians. We hopefully met them some today as they joined and professed faith. And so there's within Israel and the church, there's the visible and the invisible, the true and the false. And wherever God is talking about Him loving Jerusalem, Zion, the gates of Zion, more than any other dwelling of Jacob, it means that His people, true people, believing people, gathered together, delight Him more than all the other homes, locations, and families, Anywhere in Israel, God takes a special delight when His people are engaged in the church. And God most often chooses to dispense experiences of His love through the church. In Galatians 4, Paul gives the illustration, he calls it an allegory between uh, Hagar, who was Sarah's uh, maidservant, and Sarah herself, was who was promised uh, to Abraham and Sarah to be the one through whom the Christ would come. And in Galatians 4, Paul says that, ironically, to the Jews themselves, that they are the children of Hagar. Well, they could say, well, no, we're not. We're physically descended... From, from Isaac. But God's saying, you're, you're actually living and believing, or actually unbelieving, like people who were born of the slave woman. See, Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting on the promise, and they decided to take things into their own hands. And through their own efforts, and own designs, and own devices, they tried to bring about the promise by human effort. Paul then Contrast that with the child that was born of the promise. It was supernatural. Abraham and Sarah could not bring about a child. They were physically incapable. It was impossible. So God had to do what human beings could not do. And that's the difference between people who are enslaved to performance who are trying to bring about what they think God wants through their own devices and efforts, just like Abraham and Hagar, and people who are resting in the promises of the gospel and know that only God can save by His grace. And by God's grace, they transfer their trust from their own devices, their own efforts, their own performance, their own works, and rest in the supernatural promises of God causing us to be born again. Now, if you don't understand those distinctions between Old Testament Israel, Jerusalem, Zion, Mount Moriah, the city of God, and the New Testament church, they're the same. Now, there are some changes, but as As being Presbyterian, we believe in the continuity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We believe in the continuity of Israel and the church. Visible church, visible church. Believers, the church. Believers, the spiritual Israel. And that opens up the Psalms so that we're able to see when we see Jerusalem or Zion or any of these titles, we think of ourselves. But we don't think of ourselves Primarily, individually. We think about ourselves as connected to the church. Notice verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. It's talking about the temple and entering into the city to go to the temple. And God most often dispenses experiences of his great love as we're engaged as his adopted children through the church. There's a film that you can watch uh, on Amazon Prime. I hope many of us watch it this week. It's called The Dropbox. It's about three years old. It follows a pastor in Seoul, South Korea. And in Seoul, uh, for some reason, especially recently, uh, they have an epidemic, not of viruses, but an epidemic of people abandoning their newborn children. They're leaving them to die in the alleyways of, of Seoul, the city. Some are even just throwing them into a dumpster to let them waste away. The more fortunate ones are dropped in front of a door on the sidewalk, and somebody knocks and runs. Some of the babies have started to be left at the door of churches, And this documentary follows a pastor named Pastor Lee. He is the pastor of what is translated as God's Love Community Church. And Pastor Lee and his wife, who have raised a a very severe special needs child, they began taking in these abandoned children that were left at their church's doorstep. And word got out, and more and more people started leaving their babies, at least at the church, instead of in an alley or in a dumpster. And this documentary uh, follows what happens through Pastor Lee's ministry. So many babies begin to be left at the church that he cuts a hole in the wall of the church and he puts in a little drawer that has light and there's heat in it, and there's warm blankets, and there's even some soft music. And when someone puts the baby in that little drawer, about several minutes after they leave, a bell goes off in the church, and the pastor and his wife come down. And the pastor calls this drawer, The Dropbox. And that's the title of the documentary. Now, the director of the Dropbox didn't even plan on doing a documentary on Pastor Lee. Uh, the, the director himself was what I call a CNE. and e He would come to church on Christmas and Easter, and he thought since he didn't kill anybody that he was probably a Christian but it didn't have a lot to do with his life. Well, as he decided to switch the task from the movie he was going to do to the documentary called The Dropbox, he actually was converted. And many, many people from Hollywood, Christian, non-Christian, millions have watched this documentary, The Dropbox. Well, folks, when it comes to the church, we are God's Dropbox. We are the place where abandoned, orphaned children because of the fall are placed and we are brought into the family of God. We are adopted to be loved by the Father who sets the church up as His beloved drop box. His love is most experienced in and through the church. Engage the church to experience love. Secondly, engage the church to experience hope. The hope of this passage is that you do not need to be a, uh, an ethnic Jew in order to become a son or daughter of God. Look at verse 4. Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab. And again, when I read the text, I said that means Egypt and Babylon. Now, what do you know about Egypt and Babylon? They were two of Israel's deepest foes and greatest enemies. And God says when he thinks about the love he has for the church, he mentions Egypt and Babylon. Verse 4, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Again, more enemies of Israel. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, where he says, remember that you all me included, we all at one time were hostile. We were enemies to God. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. But now, we who were far off, not just far off geographically, we who were far off spiritually and had nothing to do with the visible church in the Old Testament... Israel, we who were far off, who were aliens and strangers, we have now been made citizens of the Jerusalem that is from above. Romans 2 verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Your ethnicity does not make you a Jew, nor is circumcision outward and physical, No, a Jew is one inwardly. That means all of us who know Christ. We are inward Jews, adopted sons and daughters when we were foes, when we were enemies. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit of God. And of Zion, verses 5 and 6, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. Now, the thing is, they weren't born in her. They were Egyptians. If you're an Egyptian, that means you were born in Egypt, right? If you're a Babylonian, it means you were born in Babylon. They weren't born in Jerusalem. They weren't born in Zion. They weren't born on Mount Moriah. They weren't born in the city of God. And yet God is going to say of them, and Philistia, and Cush, and Tyre, you were born in Jerusalem. Once again, the Psalms are poetic. They carry much that is symbolic, and has a double meaning, and is, a, and is figurative. For instance, uh, in Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verse 22 The author writes, you, you and I, we who were aliens and strangers and enemies, you have come to Mount Zion. Well, I didn't go to Mount Zion until last year. And to the city of the living God. I hadn't been to Jerusalem. Ah, the heavenly Jerusalem. See, we need to understand that when we read Jerusalem, Zion, Mount Moriah, the city of God... In the Psalms, we're to read the word church. The blessings of God, the presence of God, the delight of God, the hope of God come to us through the church. She is our mother. And that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 4 that I was talking about with Hagar and Sarah. The Jerusalem that is above, Paul says... She is our mother. And oh, by the way, this is why this passage is all about the church and all about adoption. As a matter of fact, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, in Psalm 87 has the words, she is our mother, when it talks about us being born in Zion. And that is what Paul quotes Paul didn't quote the Hebrew Old Testament. He quoted the Greek Old Testament. And that verse occurs in Psalm 87. So we need to be born again to be called born in Jerusalem. What does it mean to be born again? Well, we're born as Americans. We're born as Egyptians. We're we're born as Babylonians. And then we recognize that our ultimate allegiance is not to be to our nation or our birth. Our allegiance is to be to the Creator who made us. And we humble ourselves in our weakness and helplessness. And we raise the empty hands of faith. And we say, God, I wasn't born in Jerusalem. I wasn't one of ethnic Israel. But I want to be part of spiritual Israel. Give me the hope of salvation. Romans 9, 6. Not all who are descended from ethnic Israel belong to Israel. Okay? Visible church, Israel, Jerusalem, city of God, Zion, Mount Moriah, visible church. Not everybody in Jerusalem who participated in the sacrifices was truly an Israelite. Because an Israelite is not just ethnic, it's trust and hope in Messiah. And we have that same hope. We don't need to become Jews to be in the hope of the people of God. So, engage the church to experience hope. Matt Matt Woodley has written a commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the illustrations he has in this commentary, he talks about a friend of his and his wife that wanted to adopt a little girl named Maria. They'd never met her. They had no idea even what she looked like. They just had received reports. And this uh, Maria lived in a South American country where the government was very unstable. There was violence everywhere, corruption, political chaos, They risked their lives to head into a city in the South American country. And when they got there, they realized the entire adoption system was corrupt. It was basically run by mafia. And every time they got close to seeing their little girl, Maria, the corrupt officials of the agency jacked up the price over and over and over Andy, the guy's name, got so angry that he threatened to go to the American consulate and tell them what these people were doing. And a man showed up as he was walking on the street alone and threatened him with his life and said, Stop making waves, get on a plane, and go home, or terrible things are going to happen to you. But Andy couldn't leave without his daughter. A daughter he'd never met. He spent loads of money, days and weeks of time. He risked his life with corrupt officials. But he finally brought Maria home. Fast-forward 18 years. Maria' is graduating from high school. And she stands up in front of everyone and gives one of the most articulate expressions of hope that anybody's ever heard. And then she looked at her father and said, Thank you for risking everything to give me hope. I will never be the same. Jesus came to a nightmarish country filled with violence and corruption and threat of harm. But he would not leave without his adopted children. Us. And he made it home safely. Jesus was killed so that we might have the hope of adopted children. Experience the church to engage love. Engage the church to experience love. Engage the church to experience hope. And lastly, engage the church to experience life. Look at verse 7. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. First of all, I want you to notice that the church is to be filled with singers and dancers. I know it's a little weird. Uh, We've had... I must say, some people dance in the aisles at times, and I get very uncomfortable, so please, just keep that to yourself, will you? No. There's to be so much joy and life in our hearts that we can't contain it. Remember David, when the ark was being transferred back to Jerusalem? Again, the symbol of God's presence, his very presence among his church in Zion. David danced with all his might. But notice the singers and dancers say, my springs are in you. The whole reason I sing, the whole reason I dance, the whole reason I preach, the whole reason we do what we do for the Lord Jesus, because his springs are in us. And his springs of life are in us primarily through the church. This is how God chooses to work. This is what Psalm 87 is all about. The church is the gathering of God's adopted children. And that's where He shows up. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4. When we gather together on the Lord's day, the presence and power of the Lord Jesus is with us in a very unique way that is not true other times of the week. Or other gatherings of the week. In John 7, a passage we're all aware of, I'm sure, John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, out of them will flow rivers of living water. As we enter church, the gates of Zion, the gates of Oak Mountain, God's streams of life through His Spirit course in us and through us. There's a beautiful picture in Ezekiel 47. Uh, there's the temple. Ezekiel has a vision of the temple in Jerusalem. And out of the temple, there's a trickle of water coming from the Holy of Holies. And and then that trickle turns into like a moving puddle. And then the moving puddle becomes a little, oh, I don't know what you'd even call it. This little, this little rain spout creek. And then it turns into a stream. And then it turns into a river. And then it turns into an ocean that no one can even cross. That's John 7. Now, the temple there is not literal once more. In poetry and in prophecy, there's very little that is actually literalistic. It's mostly symbolic. The temple is the church. It's the throne of God. It's the place where God's Spirit dwells. And out of the church, God issues streams of living water. And our Mother sustains us and grants us life through Christ. God has all the resources we need for life. And He dispenses those resources through the church. I'm sure many of us have uh, read the comic strip or maybe seen the Broadway play or the movies of Annie, Little Orphan Annie. You know the story. She was 10 years old. Uh, She was part of... um, the Hudson Street home for girls during the Great Depression. And uh, the director was, was Miss Hannigan. And she was an alcoholic and she was abusive. And she would make the girls in the home uh, work until way past midnight scrubbing the floors. Then she'd wake them up while it was still dark and have them peel potatoes. It was, it was literally like child slave labor. And all of the girls dreamed about being adopted by a loving family. Except for Annie. Annie dreamed that her birth parents would come back and get her. They promised they would. They gave her a a, a locket and and took half of it with them and said, we will be a locket family again. But they never came. There was this billionaire named Oliver Warbucks, Daddy Warbucks. And uh, he was a philanthropist, not a very great man at all. Even though he was supposedly philanthropist, his public image was deeply uh, suffering. And so as a publicity stunt, he asked the orphanage to bring Annie for just a week. Well, you know what happened. Annie's heart was drawn to Daddy Warbucks. Daddy Warbucks' heart was drawn to Annie and I'm not going to give away everything that happens, but through all kinds of dramatic ups and downs and revelations and, and uh, tragedies and excitement and terror, uh, Annie finds out, Daddy Warbuck finds out, that Annie's birth parents actually died in a fire five years earlier. And Daddy Warbucks asks Annie again, Would you like to be my daughter? And he adopts her. And he gives her a new locket for her new forever family. And all of Daddy Warbuck's incredible wealth and resources are now Annie's. God offers us all of his resources as his adopted children. But he dispenses those resources. Most often, in and through the church. It is through the church we experience the graces of our adoption. So whenever you see Jerusalem, Zion, Mount Moriah, the city of God, you read church. And when you read church you recognize we're all called to take our part. The church used to be the heart of the city. May it become that once more. But even more importantly, may the church not only become the heart of the city, may it become the mother of your heart and your growth in Christ. And may our hearts not be pointed merely to the church, but to the Christ who indwells her with his presence. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to interpret it properly. Thank you for telling us about the church in the Old Testament. And thank you that it's not something that we can't relate to. It's not something that isn't even for us, but for ethnic Israel. Lord, we we do pray for Jews. God, I do believe at the end of the age, you will bring many Jews to Christ. But Father, I don't believe it has anything to do with what happened in 1948. I don't think it has anything to do with the nation of Israel. But you're going to bring Jews to Christ. But Father, remind us that if we know Christ, we are Jews who are one inwardly and by the Spirit, and we are part of the house that bears your name. So Holy Spirit, come, fill your church, and may out of us truly flow streams of living water through all that we do. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ, or if anybody watching doesn't know Christ, might today be the day they transfer their trust from their own good works And may they walk helplessly to the cross. And God, may they believe the promises of the hope that we, as the enemies of God, before we know Christ, the hope that we can have in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.